What's up, everybody? Good morning. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Run Your Mouth podcast. We're getting after it very early this morning. Well, it's not very early. Some of you guys work like real jobs. You're probably up at 6 a.m. You've already already been in your office. You got an early so you can take a nice big steamy office dump before everybody gets into work. There's nothing worse. Dude, I once worked in a sales office and man, that morning diarrhea line, that was something else. That was like uh, you would think it would be more dignified. You know, actually, we got thrown out of that building because the neighboring office, it was supposed to be like a fancy tech building. And it's like the neighboring office was the people from Snapchat. And so you get people who are like, oh, my God, I'm living my dreams. And by the way, this is Snapchat like five years ago or six years ago. Maybe it was like six years ago when Snapchat was like still on the up and people were all about Snapchat. I don't even hear about Snapchat anymore. But there was a time when people were all about that Snapchat. And so people would be like, this is unbelievable. I just graduated from MIT. I graduated from Yale. I'm getting one of these trendy jobs. And they thought it was going to be ritzy, uh, you know, tech job life living out of the old New York Times building. But little did they know that there was a whole scam phone center right next door with just hundreds of people on that floor doing coke all day and making diarrhea. I wasn't doing blow, but there were definitely people in that office that did a lot of blow. And if you weren't doing blow, you were just chugging down energy drinks, eating that free seamless lunch, making phone calls, trying to sell leads to contractors and blowing up the bathroom. Anyways, we were going to try and get right into some real news. That's why I'm starting early. I was like, this can't wait till 10, 11 a.m. There's people on their morning commutes right now, and they're going to need this information. That's what I was saying. Now, uh, Dave changed the recording time, so we're going to be doing part of the problem in a bit. And I was like, but I got all the stuff I've been putting together, so we're going to wake up early. We're going to get out to all of you guys. You can tell me. Maybe you like the morning briefings. Maybe this gets more views than anything's ever gotten, if anything I've ever put out, because I'm actually catching you while you're going. Oh, the butt wants to. There you go. You know, this is why I shouldn't have comments up that I'm getting into my flow and the butt's like, hey, I want to see your dick. And I'm like, should I show? No, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. I'm trying to do, do real news coverage over here. What other news show? Some guy trying to get into the morning topics so that you can understand what's going on in the world. And then some animal called the butt just comes in here and tells us that he wants to see my wiener. It's not going to happen. You know why I don't have my sheets on today? That's on me. I woke up too early to, to put on my sheets. If I was wearing my sheets, Everything would be all fluffed up and beautiful. It'd be in its position. Go to RYM. I mean, use promo code RYM, sheathunderwear.com. You get 20% off. Uh, all right. So I'm watching a little bit of the Queen's funeral. I haven't watched any of it. I've just seen pictures in the newspaper going to Scotland. They're taking this lady on a tour. I got to be honest. I always had an appreciation for a graveside funeral. Graveside funeral, it's like the tailgate party of funerals. Firstly, it's nice to be outdoors. You don't have to do more than one location. People get up and they just give short speeches. It's right by the grave. You know, I even eat standing up in my own kitchen. I cook dinner and then I turn around. I got my countertop. I eat. I throw it right into the garbage right there. Bing, bang, bang. We're done. That's a very efficient system. You go to a graveside funeral. It's like that. You get it all done on the spot. The, the corpse is there. The hole is there. The people give the speeches right there. And you get to wear sunglasses. No one gets to see that you're a bitch and that you're crying. You shake some hands, go someplace else, you eat some danishes, you call it a day. It, that That's the way to do it. I remember, I think when I was as a kid when then uh, maybe it was Reagan died and I kept turning on the news after school. I didn't watch the news after school. I, you know, you, you, you start you start doing these too early in the morning. You just start saying too many things that just aren't factually accurate. I don't remember why, but I remember watching the news maybe for a couple days in a row or maybe just seeing in the newspaper or something but they're taking Ronald Reagan's corpse. They're going up the stairs. Then they're going down the stairs. Then they're parading him here. They're parading them everywhere. It seems like there's a competition amongst the global elites for who can have the longest funeral. 
That's how you really show that you lived a life well lived is if you can take that corpse on parade. And so here I'm pitching the fan base now on contributing. I'm going to start a GoFundMe for the Rob Bernstein funeral parade because I want to create the Guinness World Record for the longest funeral procession of all time. I want to go cross country. I want to hit all the monuments. I want my corpse just to be paraded through malls. I want it going through sporting events. I want it just walking down the highway. I want a continuous procession here. I want people that are dressed up like with all the queen shit. I'm talking, I want people dressed in royal costumes. Uh, this has to be a golden, uh, a golden, and by the way, the less accomplished I am in life, the funnier this bit's going to be. I, I mean, I really want where like you, you're blowing the horns and people are like, who's that? And we're like, uh, I don't know, some guy who spent a lot of money for us to continuously parade around his corpse. And then, you know what else? Because are they really keeping the queen's corpse in this? Because you can just fill my coffin with meat and cheeses. To be honest, you give me a nice grave graveyard ceremony, and then for the rest of it, you just do it for the bit. And then the people holding it, they get used to the smell, and everyone else, they're just trying to go about their life events. You're there, it's some kid, and you're like, what the fuck is that? You start making the Biden confused, or the, the Tucker Carlson what the fuck is that? And then people are like, have some respect. That's the king of the cocks, lord of the sandwiches. Long may he reign. Where are the masses? Where are all the people that are supposed to be involved in this funeral procession? You know, or what you do is you keep showing up to other people's big events, and then you, you capture all the people that are out there as if they were at the, the long funeral uh, funeral uh, 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 progression. Uh, and then people, of course, they're giving shit to this uh, this new king. He got busted, so they put all this shit on a desk, and uh, he couldn't even bother to be like, "Excuse me, do you mind clearing this desk, good sir?" No, instead he just he he just gestures, and then he sneers. He starts making like a Pee Wee Herman face, just uh, just grimacing with his teeth. And people are like, what kind of a king is this? You know, you're telling me about the nobility of these elites, but look at them, even with the cameras on, look at the way that they treat other people. And I got to tell you, as a guy with ADD, I understand having a clean desk. I mean, well, what kind of slaves do you have these days that they don't know to be cleaning off your desk? And also, this guy's got big fucking fat sausage fingers. I actually, it's not that he can't bother to be moving things. It's like he's literally got chopsticks for fingers, like hot dog fingers. He can't be moving stuff. And now he's on the world stage. First, he put him in front of an unclean desk. Then you notice that the things are there. You know that he's incapable because he's got the big fat sausage fingers. You know what happened with his, with his sausage fingers? Uh, it's, um, he was trying to make his dick bigger and they fucked up and now he's got giant figures, right? But it's great for fingering people. Are you kidding me? When they bring those, uh, those miners to the palace, oh, he can show them a good time. Those are like uh, eight inch hot dog finger wieners. I actually, I think that that's just arthritis. That happens to old people. I actually had a moment with uh, with my grandmother, fine lady, before she passed, where uh, she wanted to give me her wedding ring. I was like, Grandma, I can't take your wedding ring. And she's like, you're going to get married one day. I want you to have it. I'm like, Grandma, you, you got things coming up. You're going to end up wearing it. You might want it. And then she showed me her hand, which was fatter and more disgusting than this guy. She goes, where am I ever going to wear this ring again? I was like, fair enough. And then I took it and pawned it, and then I bought this apartment. No, I didn't really do that. I'm not that big of a scumbag. Ladies, if you're out there, I got a ring somewhere. I don't even know where it is. I gave it to my parents. It's probably in a safe, and they probably lost it. Uh, now DeButt is, uh changed his mind, and he realized that he'd rather see my pussy. Um, and, you know, I uh, I appreciate the input, buddy. Maybe maybe in a future episode, I'll, I'll have to 
get into some of these healthcare things and uh, work on acquiring the vagina first. And then maybe once I have it, um, I'll be able to show it on the live stream. It's so nice to be able to interact with people this early in the morning and uh, get all their positive feedback on, you know, the news coverage that I'm trying to bring to the world. All right. Now we got some some real topics coming at you. What do we got here? So sometimes, you know, you don't even have to do that much work if you want to try and, you know, do these kind of shows because uh, Twitter, they just collect all the clips for you. So one of the big themes that appeared within my Twitter thing yesterday uh, is that it was 9-11. And, you know, never let a tragedy go to waste. And that's why all these people are up there and they're going, you think 9-11 was scary? Well, we just survived January 6th and that thing's even worse. And just to go big picture on why that should be so frightening to everybody here, uh, it's because when uh, they decide to go after terrorists, you know, they got rid of the rights. They opened up Gitmo. They're waterboarding. They're bombing. They're doing all sorts of terrible things. And so if January 6th is really just as bad as September 11th, and we see what they did in terms of depriving human beings of their rights, well, are they going to do that to us? Nice people like me just trying to yell from their living rooms? All right, so let's watch some of the uh, statements that these people made. Not only a place on our calendars, but a place in our collective memory. December 7th, 1941. September 11th, 2001, and January 6th, 2021. All equally terrible. All right, let's watch more of these world leaders. Not only a play. Next up, making a comeback. Oh, by the way, uh, last night, me and uh, Brian from Lions of Liberty were hanging out. We did a hate watch party of the first episode of Hillary Clinton's show, Gutsy. Uh, it was highly experimental in that we just <clears throat> let the thing stream and we talked over it. I think next time I will more likely watch it beforehand and pull clips. I uh, I don't think it's going to make sense as audio only. And I believe that since I played the footage in full, it's probably not going to be able to live on on most platforms. A fair amount of people did catch it live on Twitter. I think most likely... It will find its home on Odyssey, and that will be the only spot that you can find such programming. And I know how difficult it is to be a fan of this show. Sometimes it gets posted here. Sometimes it gets posted there. And you're like, why can't it all just be in one spot? And I wish it could be. And it's not a function of me being disorganized, which it somewhat is. But it's also, you know, the powers that be. They, 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 don't like, uh, they don't like what we put out into the world. All right, let's stay on topic here. We're trying to talk about how the global elites want to label people like me domestic terrorists and uh, do horrible things to our buttholes. Here we go. What's going through your mind today, 21 years later? Well, Dana, um, every uh, time we approach September 11th, I do think about everything that I saw, all the people that I met, the families of those who lost loved ones. So it is indelibly um part of my uh, memories, and I feel grateful that um, we were able to come together as a country at that really terrible time. We put aside differences. I wish we could find ways of doing that again. We rebuilt New York. Uh, we have done our best to take care of the families that lost so much on that terrible day. And we have also, I think, um, been reminded um, about 
how important it is uh, to try to deal with extremism of any kind, uh, especially when it uses violence to try to achieve political and ideological uh, goals. So I'm one who thinks that uh, there are lessons still to be learned from what happened to us on 9-11 that we should be very aware of uh, during this time in our country and the world's history. You, you mentioned how. Uh, I thought it was a, a more direct comment about January 6th when I heard it, but nevertheless still has the same flavor of, hey, we've got to be very careful about violent extremism. And they're not talking about extremism in other locations. It's extremism in any locations, including here. And since violence is never the answer, we better go be violent towards these people first. Let's take away their human rights before they can possibly take action against us and do it all in the name of morality. All right, let's watch one more of these people. Here we go. Look, we're at the 21st um, marking, if you will, of the September 11th attacks. Yeah. This was a foreign terrorist attacking our democracy, yeah. attacking this country. Yeah. We're now. We need someone to explain to us why why 9/11 was bad. Thank you, Chuck Todd. Equal or greater than what we faced after 9/11. We even got to pause it there just to understand all the stupidity of I believe this is uh, meet the press. I think that's Chuck Todd. Maybe I have his name wrong, but I like that he has to intro it with explaining to us just how bad 9-11 is because none of us would understand it. If he couldn't give us that characterization, we would be totally lost. And then he wants to know if maybe January 6th. Let's even let's even re-listen to that. Did I hear that right? That he wants to know if these two things are on the same exact level. Which one was even worse? Attacking our democracy, yeah. attacking this country. Yeah. We're now, as a nation, battling a threat from within. Is the threat yeah. equal or greater than what we faced after 9 11? That's an interesting question. I guess he didn't say the um, events, the threat of I the have day. Held many elected offices as district attorney, attorney general, senator, now vice president. And there's an oath that we always take, which is to defend and uphold our constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. We don't compare the two in the oath, but we know they both can exist and we must defend against it. All right, just uh, in, in terms of never forgets, they're always up there, never forget. Well, I'll put it forward that you and your daily life Never forget that if they could create a title called domestic terrorisms and put people like me in jail, they would. It's just a function of whether or not that they can sell it. And here they are testing the waters once again, getting out there and seeing how much people will buy into the idea that there's a threat of nice people like me sharing their opinions online because it's misinformation. No matter how right it is, no matter how many times it's accurate, if it's not what they want, it's misinformation. And then it's so easy for them just to call anything dangerous. Is there ever proof that like a comedian telling a joke leads to violence? It doesn't matter. It could be dangerous. And if it could be dangerous, we better step in. And, uh, you know, who even knows how they might mistreat us? I can't answer these questions, but I'm just saying, look at them. They're just testing the water. It's not going full with it, but they're testing it. They want to see if they, if the if the market reacted. It's almost like a you know like a wrestler. You show up and like maybe you try out like your one move to get the crowd going, and then the crowd likes it. It's almost like that Chris Farley moment in uh in in Black Sheep where he gets in front of the audience and like they start clapping. And he starts going like a little bit too hard. That's what they're doing. They're out here and they're 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 playing with this perspective 
of if they can really sell us on that there's these extreme MAGA people out there and they're going to undermine our democracy. And that's why we need to lock them up. And it, they're not saying that part yet because they can't. But if people rallied enough that they felt like they could say that last part, that's what would be coming. All right. What else do I got lined up? Oh, yeah. I got another video just to showcase how much of a liar. Oh, I don't. Yeah. All right. That's okay. Uh, all right. We're going to take a little bit of a turn here from our typical topics into uh something we're, we're gonna we're gonna go down a, a little bit of a god discussion rabbit hole over here we're gonna talk theology we're gonna talk religion it's almost the jewish high holidays i'm almost gonna have to spend two days sitting in synagogue wondering why the hell am i back here i don't really even like sitting through these ceremonies the janitor's not here for me to drink with none of my friends even come to this place anymore and so uh, what can i say some of these things are on the top of my mind and so I came across this article and well, the reason why we're going to delve into it is because I think it showcases the cultural power of the left that even people that you think would be immune to their perspectives are not. Everybody has to cater these days. No one can talk their mind. No one can, no one can have their religious values. Uh, and so, well, all right, everyone at home, they don't even know what I'm talking about. I haven't even introed the story yet. So we'll read the headline and then we're going to have some fun with this. Yeshiva University can bar LGBT club for now. Justice rules. Sonia Sotomayor ruling will be in place pending a decision by the Supreme Court to take up the case. So this is actually where I went to high school, spent some time here in college. And uh, if this was when I was in high school, I would have marched with those gays just to piss off the rabbis. That's what I would have done. I, I would have dressed up like a lady, full body paint gone to a parade and been like, you got to recognize our gay club. I, that's what I would have done. I would have had fun with that. Uh, but here's what I'm trying to get at. So you got these kids, uh, they're going to the, the religious school and while they're at the religious Jewish school, uh, they also want to have an LGBTQ club and they want the school to accommodate their club, give them resources and, you know, just recognize them. Uh, and to me, this would be no different. You go to the school, that's the Jewish school and you're like, Hey, I want to have my bacon club. Or uh, can you imagine if government came in and they tried to institute, that electricity must be available for Amish kids. Government came in and they mandated, hey, you got kids here. They have to be able to use their electricity. Or imagine if you were an Amish person and you decided you really liked watching Sunday football. And so you put up a projector on your lawn and people were like, at least just go inside with it. At least just go inside with the projector or move anywhere else in the world. You've come to the Amish place. Or can you imagine if you went to a drug rehab center and then you decided to make the heroin club? Or I'll give you one more example. You go back to that, uh, like, you know, classic Big Lebowski can't 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 roll on Saturdays. You, you go to you go to the, the, the religious Jewish school. You know, they're all about the Sabbath and they're keeping their Saturdays. And you go, listen, I want to be in the school, uh, but I also want funding for a Saturday bowling club. We're going to do a Saturday bowling club and we're going to get a bus that pulls up here and we're going to outright desecrate. It's like there's just something very not honorable about going to it like i'm here to tell you you can you cannot keep religion you're allowed to do that or you can be a part of the religion and then quietly break whatever you want but if you say hey i am a part of this religion and there's a law on the books that i think is no longer applicable well then you don't believe in the religion anymore then that's no longer that religion if you think that there's a part of the religion that is wrong then you don't believe in the religion or if you believe that that part of the religion is applicable, but for some reason you don't want to make it a part of your life, 
Then you just privately don't keep it and you go, hey, I'm not uh, I, I'm using religion to the best of my personal ability to connect with God and a higher power. There's this one aspect of the religion that doesn't fit into my life, but I am going to overlook it because I think it's okay in part to be a sinner. I think sometimes even like priests, they get a bad rep, you know, they're out there and uh, sometimes they get in trouble for having sinned. And it's like, maybe they actually need a religion more. Maybe they're not being a hypocrite when they're up in front of their congregation and they're preaching. Maybe they actually really, really need it. And they know that in their own private life, they're fucking up a little bit, but that doesn't mean that they don't have faith. That doesn't mean that they don't like the religion. It just means they actually need it a little bit more. All right. I get that this was a long ramble. It was probably a little bit unfocused. I haven't even eaten my breakfast yet. We're diving into the world's problems on an empty stomach. All right. So you got these kids and they're at the school. Uh, and bear in mind that this is a very small school. What is there? Maybe a thousand kids that go to this thing, a thousand kids that decide, Hey, instead of going to a college, I'm going to go to an all male college, one that offers, uh, uh, tourist study programs. And I'm going to be around like-minded individuals that want to live this very unique and interesting, uh, committed life to, uh, I, I, I mean, I'll call it, I mean, it's not to these people, they call it modern orthodoxy, but it's a, it's a pretty intense version of the religion. It's a pretty committed version of the religion. And then you got other kids. And by the way, this is a very expensive private school. So you got other kids that go, I want to go to this private school. And there's an aspect of this religion that I don't want to keep, but I want to be recognized for my willingness to not keep it. Like I said, the simple and easiest example is you might as well have the bacon club. And so these people want to go, well, uh, it's not it's not the bacon club because I don't think that there's anything inherently wrong and I should feel just as welcome even though, and you can be, you just then aren't keeping the religion. So then you can go anywhere else in the world. I, I, I grant you the permission to go, you're not a person of faith and then think about all the guilt that you no longer have to feel around this activity or all the other things that might now be available to you in your life if you just make the honest decision of, oh, I don't believe in this thing, which is fine. I give you that permission. All right, so let's actually read a couple details from this article uh, because to me, it's just not honorable. It's not honorable to show up to somebody else's place and go, hey, I want to be a part of this thing that you have but you have to change this thing to accommodate it. To me, it's like if you were a lady and you demanded that it was uh, gender discrimination that the you know that the New York Rangers won't hire you to be a locker room attendant. You say it's not right. There's not a single female that I don't know if locker rooms have attendants, but let's just work with me here. There's not a single female that has a job in a men's locker room in the entire NHL. You've got people in there. Maybe they're handing out paper towels or they're making sure that things are clean and they go, this is just rotten. This is gender discrimination. And then you get that job and you're in the locker room and then you start complaining. Hey, there's too many dicks out in this place. Hey, the way that these people talk, Hey, the way, and then all of a sudden it's not just, Hey, I wanted to be there. It's, Hey, I want, I want to be there, but it also needs to be a different thing. It needs to be the different thing that I want it to be. There's just something I'm going to say weaselly and unhonorable about such behavior to me. All right, here we go. Uh, by the way, I, I know that this is ADD, but I appreciate the um, uh, the support coming out. I'm seeing multiple comments here from people saying, great stream last night. Mark was a bit hammered though. Ha ha. Um, 
what else do we got? And I had someone else. So uh, email me, robsnewsroom at gmail.com. I don't always have the best sense of uh, how bits are going or how much things are being appreciated. So if you guys liked the Hate Watch Club and you liked it in its per- current version, I'm putting it to the market. If you guys can give me some feedback, robsnewsroom at gmail.com. Even though I might not listen to you and experiment with uh, trying to cut clips beforehand, which takes more logistics on my end. So I'd rather not do it that way. So uh, you guys hit me up. Robsnewsroom at gmail.com. Tell me what you thought of the hate watch party. And if you think it's a worthwhile bit and um, that we should do more of it. All right. So let's read a little bit. This is from the Washington uh, Post. In a filing asking the Supreme Court to step in, the university said as a deeply religious Jewish university, Yeshiva cannot comply with that order because doing so would violate its sincere religious beliefs about how to form its undergraduate students in Torah values. The school is represented by the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty, which called the lower court ruling an unprecedented violation of the university's First Amendment rights. The student group said the lower court's decision was a straightforward interpretation of state law. It said the Supreme Court's intervention was unwarranted, especially before the New York's own appellate court have the chance to weigh in. All right, before we read any more, also, uh, isn't there something to be said for just like individuals or individual institutions being able to do their own thing? I mean, how much socialism and government money do we want in the system to ensure that every single place is exactly the same? Like, shouldn't people have a right to find like-minded individuals who are into it? And, and in this case, I wouldn't call religion hateful. I would call it a blood that they're trying to focus on their beliefs and uh, the laws that uh, they believe are handed to them by God. And can't like, shouldn't we just have some respect for that? Like, I would understand if the religious institution had a day where they're like, because hey, there's not this way. But if they had a day where they're like, hey, we better get out there because God doesn't like these activities that these other people are doing. And then they wanted to create violence for these other people. You know, government have to step in. But if they're over here and they just want to read their books and do their own thing. I mean, do we really want to live in a country where people just are never allowed to do their own thing? Where government always has to step in and go, hey, this is different than like, I, I, I mean, how does that even work in application? If you can't have a religious institution that doesn't fund something that's against the actual religion, I mean, it, then what's up? Like, you might as well just have government that mandates a culture and then just enforces that on everybody. Just 100% pure socialism. Here we go. Let's continue. Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor on Friday put on hold a lower court's ordering requiring Yeshiva University in New York to recognize an LGBTQ student club while legal fights continue about the group's efforts at the religious school. A New York State trial court ruled that as a public accommodation, Yeshiva was covered under the New York City Human Rights Law and recovered to provide the Pride Alliance the same access to facilities as dozens of other student groups. The group said that the means uh, that means access to a classroom, bulletin boards, and a club fair booth. So I don't know. Should I be able to do the the bacon club? Should I be able to do the orgies on the weekends clubs? Uh, should I do the hey the, the I, even this you couldn't uh, you're not supposed to round the corners of your head. I could have done the bald man's club. There you go. Uh, Sotomayor short order stated that ruling pending furthered order of the undesigned or of the court that indicated there might be more to come and that the court was acting now because of a deadline. Sotomayor is the justice who receives reviews emergency applications. All right. Now, the last piece that we're going to read from this, and this showcases just how powerful the left is. You ready? So here's someone from the institution. Keep in mind, this is the extreme religious institution. The one college, uh, one of two that exists in New York 
for the uh, very practicing modern Orthodox Jews to go to so that they don't have to uh, confront secular culture and perhaps end up like me. You know, that that's that that that's the idea of these schools. So here we go. On Friday, it's president Rabbi Ari Berman said the school wanted students of all sexual orientations and gender identities to feel comfortable on its campus. But it also wanted its identity as an institution grounded in modern Orthodox Judaism to be taken seriously. Now, I got to ask you, why is it that you want all gender identities to feel comfortable on your campus? If you're actually a religious institution and you actually believe in the word of God. Now, I'm not saying you got to criticize what people do outside of the institution, but why are you going to welcome who you believe to be sinners into your institution? Uh, and so either this person himself also should just leave the religion because he doesn't believe in God. Uh, maybe he actually believes that when God gave the, the laws, uh, he messed up on some of those, in which case I don't know why you'd keep any of it. You, you, you apparently a lot of these people, I, I give them the grant. I grant them the freedom to leave the religion because you're, you don't believe in it anyway. So you might as well go elsewhere or the left has become such a powerful force that even the people with religious convictions that you think could just stand up pretty easily and go, Hey, we respect the lifestyle that you're living. It's just that we're holding the rules of this book. So just, we're trying to, you know, keep a certain environment here where we hold that this book's important. And so you can go to any of the other universities in the country. You just pick the one that this doesn't make sense at. All right, moving on. I don't know if you guys like that. couple quick uh, uh, opinion pieces from the Wall Street Journal that I want to highlight for you guys. Um, moving forward, uh, let me know. Also, looking for market feedback here, robsnewsroom at gmail.com. I'm going to start giving more bullet points instead of reading uh, full articles, um, and you guys can go find them on your own time. I think when I start reading things on the show, I just kind of power through it because I don't really want to read other people's materials. So I don't know that it's that fluid. All right, here we go. Tech censorship, W Street Journal, <laughs> Wall Street Journal, how the feds coordinate with Facebook. So I think there's a uh, new lawsuit going on and we're starting to find out some of the communications that exist between Facebook and uh, government. And so it would seem that the current administration uh well, we know Jim Psaki straight up said it, that they coordinate with social media on what they categorize as misinformation. Uh, so now the question, though, becomes it, like, I mean, I think it's loose. They just kind of call them up and say, hey, can you remove this? And then Facebook doesn't really want to be in the crosshairs. They do it. And then yeah, I guess they say that that's not government censorship or a violation of free speech because they didn't tell the person that they had to do it. It was just kind of suggested. It was just a wink, wink, nod, nod. Right. Okay, so I want to read uh, two pieces from this Wall Street Journal opinion piece. The first is, um, in replying, so you have Facebook is reaching out for guidance. This was the first part, is that Facebook seems to be reaching out because they want guidance on um, some of the things that are being said on Facebook. In replying, the CDC looks careful. Is it a myth that COVID vaccines are ineffective in kids? CDC can't speak to this until the pharmaceutical companies have reported data. Is heart inflammation a risk? True. There have been increased reports in myocarditis. The same goes for Jillian Barr syndrome, and people have received the J&J, uh, oh, wow, they, I think they just messed that up, COVID-19 vaccine, but not the mRNA COVID-19 vaccines. A Twitter worker tells the CDC. 
Uh, oh, a Twitter worker tells the CDC, my team has asked for examples of problematic content. So this seems kind of shocking to me. So you've got Facebook, people are, are publishing, you know, people like me are basically looking at what's coming out from the CDC and they're going, hey, we've got risk of myocarditis. We've got uh, evidence that the COVID vaccine doesn't work in kids. And so they look to the CDC and they go, hey, are we supposed to be taking these things down? Uh, but the CDC, they understand the law. And so while they're out there and they might be making claims like, hey, it's just safe and effective, you start asking these specifics and they go, well, we don't really have the data on that. We really can't make that claim. Uh, and so why was this material then taking down? Well, the obvious is going to be because they just kind of threatened them and said, we don't like these things here. And then they wouldn't answer the specific questions. This is all They all have very good lawyers and marketing departments, uh, which I think is a problem that needs to be solved. I think government should have to give you clear answers. They should have to tell you under what specific authority it is. And there should be penalties for if they are lying to you or they don't have that authority. Uh, but they shouldn't be able to li live in this vague space of uh, mafia. Just, hey, do do. Uh, we suggest that it would be a good idea for you that if you were to, I just made a suggestion. I suggested that it would be a good idea. I thought it would be, I thought it would be good for the guy's health. I suggested that it would be a good idea if you left town. Cause I just thought he'd do better in another town. I met the guy. I, I saw that he wasn't, he wasn't vibing with this town. He was getting too somber. We got a lot of sun in this town. So I was just suggesting that if he went to another town, I think he'd feel better, you know? All right. So, this was the other piece from this, which kind of showcases a little bit more of uh, the interactions and the wink, wink, nod, nod, threat, threats. So the president said, look, the only pandemic we have is among the unvaxxed and they're killing people. Uh, I believe the and they're killing people. I got to start that again. Let's start it from the beginning. A reporter asked President Biden about COVID misinformation, his message to sites like Facebook. Facebook, they're killing people, he said. Look, the only pandemic we have is among the unvaccinated, and they're killing people. The day a person on the AG described a very senior executive meta sent an email to Surgeon General Vivek Murthy. I know our team's met today to better understand the scope of the, the White House expects from us on misinformation going forward, the executive says. Oh, is, this, is that why it's called the bully pulpit? In a text message soon after, the exec added, it's not great to be accused of killing people. But as I said by email, I'm keen to find a way to de-escalate and work together collaboratively. A week later, the AG says the senior meditor executive sent a follow-up email. I want to make sure you saw the steps we took just this past week to adjust policies on what we are removing with respect to misinformation, it says. We hear your call for us to do more. And as I said on the call, we're committed to working toward our shared goals of helping America get on top of this pandemic. You have identified four specific blah, 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 blah. And then the Wall Street Journal points out that if that's what Biden was saying on air publicly, uh, imagine what they were saying behind closed doors. All right, this one, this next two, we're going to summarize even more. Uh, but I do think for everyone interested in U.S. politics, there were some very good points made in these. Uh, oh, including, I'm about to come to a bombshell in the scam of electric vehicles. And if you're out there, if you're smart people, you understand your statistics, you understand your numbers, I implore you to pay close attention to the charts and graphs I will show in a moment, and you tell me what I'm getting wrong. All right, so this was an opinion piece, a White House student loan whopper. So for while they're telling us all about the student loans, how we can afford it, so apparently, uh, this is from Warden, uh, it's going to cost as much as $1 trillion. Uh, okay, now... Wall Street, uh, the White House, they find out about all these costs. And what do they tell us? How? Why do they tell us that we can afford it? 
they go, well, we're going to be okay because we've got this deficit reduction. And essentially what the government's doing is they're treating debt like we're working out. So during COVID, we spent more money than ever uh, because uh, supposedly we needed to, right? People couldn't go to their jobs. They needed to stay home. Government needed to stay to, to send checks and do stimulus that had never been seen before. We've got Wall Street. They're going under because of things going on in the repo market. And so let's give people $1,000 and then do the largest Wall Street bailout ever. I believe it was larger than I, it might have been. I might be wrong on that. Uh, let's send out, you know, these uh, these PPE loans. Let's get more money into the system than we ever got into the system. And so. Some people might look at that situation and go, wow, we're seeing all sorts of inflation because of the spending that we did. Uh, and that was in an emergency situation. We should probably never do that again. But that's not the way the government looks at it. The way they look at it is like it's like working out. If I went to the gym and I lifted, I did a bench press of uh, 200 pounds. Well, then that's what I can lift. And now let's see if I can do more. And now let's see if I can do more. And now let's see if I can do more. They look at it like, wow, this is our fitness level. We can carry this much debt. Let's see if we can carry even more debt. The proof that we can do it is that because, look, we, we just broke through that level. It's like this is the, the, the way that if you're going to the gym and you're trying to see what your max load on a squat is, government's doing that with debt. They keep testing the levels and they're not going, hey, we need to reduce this. That, that's not the way they look at it. They're, they're going for broke. They're like, hey, we handled it last year, and now we're taking some of that debt off the board because we're not telling people that they need to stay in their homes. So with all the money that we're saving by not being in a fake emergency situation where we pay people to stay in their homes and then bail out their failing businesses, we can now bail out all these kids that can't pay for their uh, their student loans. Um, and this, we played on uh, part of the problem, uh, but before I start my breakdown on why electric vehicles are such a scam. Uh, we did a full episode on this, the longer version of it, all about global warming. But for people that listen to this show, uh, it is worth this one minute clip. United States Congress is seriously considering legislation to provide a huge giveaway to the fossil fuel industry to drill, produce, and sell more oil and gas. Really, at a time when climate change is threatening the very existence of our planet, why would anybody be talking about substantially increasing carbon emissions and expanding fossil fuel production in the United States? What kind of message does this send to the people of our own country, to the young people? and to suffering people. What kind of a person looks at our economic situation and thinks that we should have less oil and gas available to us? All right. With that being said, let's do a breakdown of the scam of electric vehicles. Uh, so there was an article from, uh, uh, I think, Bjorg, Bjorg, something like that. And I did notice in this article, he's a little bit salesier than I'd realized in his previous writings. Uh, I think he wrote the book False Alarm, which I used heavily last year when I did my end of year misinformation spectacular. There's a whole piece on global warming. You guys should go check that out if you haven't seen it. Uh, but he was breaking down all the issues that exist for electric vehicles. The article is called If Electric Vehicles Are So Great, Why Mandate Them? Um, so I just want to focus. Well, I'll give you three bullet points 
Uh, and then I'm going to focus on one thing that I picked up on from this. So one is prices for electric vehicles are going to go up, up, up. One of the reasons being that if we continue to use them, demand for lithium uh, can be as much as 30 times the current levels. Uh, there's also inconveniences of charging these vehicles. And most people that own them, this is not the only car that they own. They actually have two vehicles, uh, one of which they use when they go on the longer drives because uh, recharging these things is a pain in the ass. So at the moment, it's kind of a luxury good for wealthy people. Uh, some of the salesier aspects of this is that he talks about, well, it relies on slavery to get cobalt. But I bet if we were to look at other energy in, in industries, this probably isn't the only one. And I'm not advocating that this is OK in any level. I'm just saying that you need to compare one to one uh, the cost of both. Here's the bombshell that I have for everybody here. So he claims over the lifetime of a car, there's a 50% reduction, right? So once you account for the fact that more coal is made, uh, I, I think more energy is used in the initial creation of the item. Uh, and that, and this isn't even a conversation about pollutants because uh, there's other polluting issues of electric vehicles, uh, such as like, the, I think he mentioned the brakes, that the roads are heavier, but let's focus on the bombshell. Let's stay focused, not the other random facts on this article. So over a lifetime of the car, you might have as much as a 50% reduction in the amount of CO2. So I'll read you his line, and then I, I went off on this. The world would save 231 million tons of CO2 emissions. Plugging these savings, this is, I think, if everyone in the world switched. Plugging these savings into the standard United Nations climate panel model, that comes to a reduction of 0 0.0002 degrees Fahrenheit by the end of the century. All right, I don't even know what that means. Maybe you guys are climate scientists. You have a better understanding of that. But I just heard that figure of over the lifetime of car, there's a 50% reduction in carbon. And I started to think, well, how much of the carbon, even in the United States, is the result of commercial vehicles uh, that if every single car on the road were to switch, how much of a reduction are we even looking at here? So then I looked at this and apparently transportation uh, only makes up 14% of greenhouse gas emissions. So if you look at all the sectors in the United States, Electricity and heat production is 25%. Agriculture is 24%. Industry, such as factories, 21%. Uh, you got some other smaller ones. But all of us, transportation, which isn't even all of us driving our cars. So transportation includes planes, includes ships, includes uh, uh, boats. I, I, well, I already said boats. Uh, anything else that would fall into the transportation category? Not that I, uh, not that I can think of at this time. All right. So now... We've only got 14%. So if 100% of vehicles on the road, we wouldn't even have, we wouldn't even be getting rid of 7% because this is the entire transportation category. So now what are we looking at here? Light duty vehicles are uh, 60%. All right. So the best we're at is, let's say, 7%. So the best, if we converted every single vehicle in the United States, I guess we could eliminate 3.5%. And that's over the course of 10 years. I don't know. I get lost on that. So I guess the best that we could do if we converted every single vehicle, commercial, like, you know, your, your car would be 3.5%. Is that worth it? Is that worth? I, I, it doesn't sound it to me. And then you start looking at the fact that China, India, and everyone else are not going to be making any changes whatsoever. Uh, and then you also have to look at the aspects of it could be down the road. If we just continue to do what we did, these technologies would all become highly useful or the fact that the combustible engine has been around for a long time. I've heard from people that own trucks now that they get much better gas mileage than they did in the past. I mean, think about how many 
technological advancements we could potentially have in terms of having vehicles that are more uh, aeronaut aeronautically designed. That's probably not the word I'm looking for. Uh, or engines that get better gas mileage, uh, better materials being used, uh, maybe uh, like part charged cars with still that have gas engines. It seems to me like there'll probably be a lot of better options if we just left it to the free market. Um, all right, I have one more story, but we're going to save that for, hey, you know what? We're going to cover this one real quick. Um, these were just two articles that came across uh, my radar kind of pinpoint the financial creepiness that exists that's lingering in the world. So if there were two things I would say uh, are pure conspiracy, but somewhat makes sense to me, is uh, Monica Perez had said that it seemed like they are purposely trying to split the East and the West. Uh, and as I can read, and maybe I'll highlight some more articles I've seen this week, uh, that theory, it makes sense to me. Now, am I saying that's 100% true? So I think that's what's going on. I'm just saying that theory, everything I read, it just seems to make a little bit more sense to me. So if I were to go, all right, let's just get right into the creepy conspiracy theory. Uh, there's a lot of debt in the system. The entire thing's going to fall apart. It's going to fail. And so you got your elites. They're trying to figure out how do they lock down their critical industries so that if we do have a new world order, they're in control. They make sure that they have what they need. Uh, they make sure that their systems remain in place. We don't just end up on crypto. We don't end up with freedom. We don't end up with them having to compete and having to create value. No, that's not what they want. They want to make sure that they lock down the critical industry. So what do we do? Well, we end the globalization. We cut ourselves off from China. We cut ourselves off from India. We cut ourselves off from Russia. We go, hey, that's the new boogeyman. That's who I'm protecting you guys from. And we need full government control over all critical industries. And then what happens next? What's the next version of this shit? Well, they create digital currencies. They got full control of your money at all times. They know where you are. They're tracking you on phones. They're doing what China does now where you got to check into places just so that you can have your little phone look green and they monitor everything by fucking cameras. It's one big old prison. You ever see it was a fucking CNN was even showing the footage of these people having to check in. Someone in their building gets sick. All of a sudden you get red on your phone. You better be in your house or you're in trouble. All right. Well, that's all what uh, goes on. And then it, 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 it's a little bit public the way they got to force your hand. But imagine if they could just uh, access all your money at any given point in time and just cut you off. You don't have your money. And then and then good luck. You what, you show up on the street and you're yelling about how the government took your money. You think people are going to believe you? You think people are going to run like you're homeless, which you now are, because they don't want that to happen to them. They understand, man, something terrible happened to this guy. I better stick away from him so that he doesn't get his stink on to me. And then they uh, they don't, you know what I mean? It's divide and conquer. It's exactly what they did during Corona. They shut down uh, restaurants and businesses and the rest of them went, oh man, I'm lucky. It's not me. I podcast from home. At least, at least they didn't get me. At least I get to continue doing my job. So here's uh, some of the financial creepy stories. The first one is Wells Fargo screws sex, sex workers, cancels account over risks. Uh, it seemed, except it didn't seem like it was just prostitutes. It seemed like it was uh, women who just generally speaking work within the porn industry. And for some well reason, Wells Fargo, uh, it's a Chinese social credit system. They go, we don't like this activity that you're engaged in. And so we're going to not extend financial services to you. And you, some of you idiots might go, well, that's a private institution, right? Because there's no bank charters that allows who can and who cannot operate a bank. Yeah, sure. Thanks. Thanks for the input on that one. And then here was the other one. Credit card companies will adopt new sales code for gun transactions. So one side of this, you go, apparently there's uh, code transactions for all sorts of activities. Like if you buy a plane ticket, 
probably because they want to track your travel. Uh, but there's all sorts of little credit card codes. And but they don't really explain in any capacity how these credit card codes are going to help them better track who might be a violent criminal. They're saying that they need it because then they can have a better understanding of who's buying guns and then they can have a better under wait, a better understanding of who the mass murderers or mass shooters or criminals are going to be. How are you going to do that? So what, you're going to create algorithms where you study human behavior, you log every single person who and when they bought a gun, and then you're going to have some sort of a predictive analysis of future crimes. Is that, is that what they're, is that what they're arguing? They're going to try and do, or are they just trying to backpedal some sort of a way uh, that they can track everyone, what they're doing, what they're purchasing. And if I freak you the fuck out, well then now's the time to go to yokratum.com. You want to feel better about things You get yourself a $60 kilo. You know why you're going to feel better? It's not, it's not the product. That's not the claim I'm trying to make. It's because you're going to know that you don't have to run around and find kilo of Kratom. You're, you're going to know that you got it for the best possible price at the best possible location, all while supporting content like this. YoKratom.com, home of the $6 kilo. Uh, that is our episode. I, uh, I'm going to eat some breakfast, maybe take a nap, and then uh, we'll be right back to doing part of the problem. All right, here we go. Big brain thought. Maybe our government and 50 smart, they are waiting until we have the last possible um, uh, last oil oil. Well, that's why we need to go electric now. Um, I would argue that uh, I hate that, that I would argue just, I'll just argue. Uh, no, I think uh, I, I look at it the other way. It's like the low hanging fruit. Uh, you know what I mean? So the same way I look at this with comedy leads, like I don't, I don't hold out on doing a gig down the line. I'm like, all right, this has presented itself. Let's do it. Uh, and I firmly believe that if we use that electricity, we will continue to have technological developments and the electricity available to us now will not be needed in the future. And then go listen to the episode we just did on part of the problem. I don't need to be a fucking broken record. All everything, uh, nuclear, 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 nuclear. All right, let's take a couple more comments. For real though, how high does the debt need to go before it's a problem? I feel like Austrians have been telling me it's on the verge of a disaster since we were in just $1 trillion in debt. Tim, you and I, we've got the exact same thought. There was a long stretch of my life like eight years ago where I used to read Zero Hedge. And I thought, my God, where the world's coming to an end. I'm very gullible. You'd see these charts. They'd be like charts, 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 tomorrow, 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 tomorrow. I had friends literally went off the grid, bought themselves silver. We're living out of cars. I have one friend that did that. But he was otherwise like he was just pretty crazy. Like, I don't think it was just from uh, from reading Zero Hedge. I hadn't read Zero Hedge for a while. And then they made a big time comeback when it came to Corona stuff because they're on point when it comes to social issues, financial issues all over a long enough uh, horizon timeline. Uh, the, the, I don't know what their line is, uh, but you know, a lot of their financial reporting is in theme. All right. Fucking circular. I got to eat some breakfast. So I agree with you. I agree with you. You're like, at what point does this start going to shit? If every single thing I read, if all the financial wizards, if all the economics say that this thing shouldn't be able to function and should be going to shit, why hasn't it gone to shit yet? I was thinking about this. I just started reading, and I, I will track down this guy to get him on the podcast. I just started reading The Fiat Standard by the guy who wrote The Bitcoin, the Bitcoin Standard. Safdan Amos. I'm really bad with names. That guy's awesome. When it comes to uh, like the Austrian economic stuff, uh, sometimes I have difficulty following a lot of the authors in the space. I find he brings a certain clarity to it uh, that I can really comprehend. And the Bitcoin Standard, one of the best books I've ever read. Even just even if you don't go buy Bitcoin, you don't care about Bitcoin. His explanation of time preference um, and the spirituality of money 
I, I think is a, a highly worthwhile read. But I was thinking about this because I was just reading the first chapter of his book the other day. We're in a pretty small experimental time period of kind of the, the fractional reserve banking on its current level. So like, if I mean, if you just think about kind of the history of uh, extreme government fractional reserve banking of going back to, I guess, England with World War One, which in his book, like, I think they had as much as 30 percent deposits when it was uh, when they were pretending to be on a gold standard and uh, 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 sending off their inflation. And then you go U.S. pretends to be on its gold standard all the way up till 1970s in Bretton Woods. Right. And then you got from 1970 to 2022. So we're looking at 52 years uh, of human history of uh, the, the of uh, I, I mean, I, I don't know the way Greek and those other people did their banking. So I, I would assume that they also were running with fractional reserve banking. But I'm just saying we're only 50 years since we had to abandon the gold standard because it became apparent that we weren't keeping to it. And then how many years are we into the extreme deficits that we're currently running with we're 30 years i mean it goes basically clinton uh who i i don't think he was running deficits in the same way but he was off the back of a tech bubble and the credit asset bubble that he created in the housing markets into bush how much money did that guy spend and then obama comes in he spends even more than him trump comes in spends even more than him and then you got this guy comes in and he spends even more than him i'm just saying if you were to like point to an error in human history when a world power was able to take on this kind of level of debt and a fractional reserve banking and that that was a successful operation. So while I agree with you, like how high does the debt need to go before it's a problem? Like, you know, a lot of people go, hey, dollar demand is endless. It's the king turd. There ain't no other turd that will ever be able to compete with our turds. And so as long as people keep using our dollars and don't be concerned about swift bricks is forever. You know, we don't have to be worried about China and uh, and uh, Russia and uh, India trading amongst each other and creating some sort of new gold backed currency. And then maybe Saudi Arabia bails on us and that all of a sudden dollar demand cards comes crashing down. We can keep this thing going forever. And I'm too stupid to possibly know. But I was thinking about the other day that maybe what we're doing is not like we only exist in this little period of time. And so it feels like it's normal and kind of forever. But maybe the experiment of this level of debt is actually we're living in way more of an experiment than we actually uh, realize. All right. I feel like that's a good enough place to end. Nearly a full hour. That's a lot of show. Uh, hopefully, you know, I don't know. I don't know what's planned next, but email me robsnewsroom at gmail.com. Uh, give me some feedback. I appreciate it. Comment, like, subscribe, knock on some doors, get your run your mouth Bible and, uh, you know, preach, let people know that they should be listening. Uh, call up your friends that have money, tell them to sponsor the show. Uh, maybe jerk off and think of me once so that I get good vibes. And, uh, that's all I got later.